how are we? Uh, is anybody excited that the days have been absolutely gorgeous for the last few weeks, right? Oh, see? Yeah. Okay, good. Start, we start with good stuff. Uh, in case we haven't met, my name is Chris Carter. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at North Point. It's really a privilege to get to do that, hang out. I do a lot of other things as well uh, as that, but this is kind of one of the key things that I get to do. Uh, my my life right now, we're in kind of a um, like a pensive season of life, uh, my family and I. And if you've um, uh, if you've been here already then you'll probably know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have uh, littles, you know what I mean by that? If you have littles right now, you're probably either dreaming about what I'm talking about or terrified of what I'm talking about. But, but we're kind of moving towards this empty nest. I say kind of. We're like on a freight train that's not stopping <laughs> towards this empty nest season of life. And, and so I've, I've got a daughter who's entering her senior year of college. I've got another daughter who uh, is uh, just graduated high school and she's entering her freshman year of college. And so our whole uh, worlds and conversations are wrapped around this idea of like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Do you remember this? Some of you remember this. Some of you are like, oh, stop talking. I don't, I don't want to think of it. Some of you are still there. You're trying to figure. Some of you are 51 and still there. You're right. Like, what am I going to do now? And none of that's bad, but this is kind of our world as we're talking a lot about like, what are you interested in? What do you like doing? What gets you up in the morning? I mean, anybody can work a job. And, and some folks, that's what, it's like what we do. It's what they do. They just work a job. That's fine, you know? But then there's others who like figure out what they're excited about and figure out how to make money doing that. And it's no longer that you're working a job, it's like you're like living your best life type of thing. So that's what we're talking about right now is like, like, like girls, what do you love doing and, and how do you build uh, a career out of that, a life out of that? And it got me thinking about back in the day, a hundred years ago when I was in high school and going through this same thing uh, of trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. And, and I don't know if I've told you this story. Uh, I've hit an age, I'm only 45, but I've hit an age where I feel like I'm retelling stories over and over again. I'm looking around for some of my older friends to like confirm that that's okay. And it's a lot of 70-year-olds that are nodding their heads. So I'm feeling very awkward right now, to be honest with you. Like, oh, okay. But uh, back in high school, I was probably like a sophomore in high school. And uh, they had this thing on campus called like Fair Day, where like all the different campus clubs would come out and set up a booth. And then you'd go around and figure out, is this a thing? Is this a thing? Do you guys, like, did you do something like this? Did you have clubs on your campus? Anybody go to high school here? Okay, I just ch- I don't know, like maybe not, maybe I don't know how it works here. This is California, it's a whole different weird place. Anyways, so they had club day, and so like I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do a club because that's dumb because dumb people do clubs. Don't just live with me in this story for a minute. That's just what I thought. Like when you're a freshman in high school, you're thinking different. Okay, just can you just chalk it up to that? So so um uh, so so club day happened. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And my mom says, yeah, you're doing a club. And so uh, my mom will be in second service, and I will tell the same exact story the same way I'm telling it now. Uh, my mom showed up on campus, which in the 90s was not cool. The 80s was not cool. 70s? Okay, so anyways, I don't know if it was ever cool, but she showed up on campus and decided she was going to sign me up for a campus club. So she started looking around. I'm not kidding. Like, this was not for parents. <laughs> Some of you are like, I see why you are the way you... <laughs> I'm like a therapist's dream, right? And so my mom signs up, shows up and she starts like, hey, you should do this, you should do this. And I'm like, mom, no, I'm trying to hide and stuff. And, and so she goes, hey, you should do that club there. And I'm like, I'm not doing that club there. And the one she was pointing at was this thing called Los Flores Outdoor Education. 
And what it was, it was this club of kids who really liked science and really liked fifth and sixth graders and wanted to like teach fifth and sixth graders about science stuff like cloud cycles and soil. And I don't care. And, and my mom said, you'd be great at that. I said, I am not doing that. It's so dumb. And then I looked a little more at it and I realized it was behind the table under this tent, all good-looking girls. And I said, this club's for me. Because <laughs> I did not spend my life hanging out with good-looking girls, and I thought that that needed to change. And so, um, and so I said, okay, I signed, I signed up for that, and, and that started this process of three years. Uh, every now and then, I'd spend the night at this kind of, uh, school that they had converted into an overnight program for local fifth and sixth graders to come and learn about uh, soil cycles and, and ecology and saving the environment and, and how clouds were formed and, and what water does when it fills. I don't even know. And, and honestly, science was like not my thing. Like I, didn't, I didn't really care. But what I got out of that experience was I found a love for teaching. And I found a love for students. And so you fast forward just a little bit, and that translates into, okay, what do I do with this? Well, I started volunteering at my church, teaching a fifth grade Sunday school class. If you want to do something fun, volunteer to teach sixth, uh, fifth grade Sunday school. Right? So I did that for a while and learned that I loved not only teaching and fifth graders and sixth graders students, but I loved the Bible. I wanted to teach, and that, that translates into two and a half decades of doing youth ministry. And a passion for teaching, and, and, and then now we're, we're, we're almost three decades into that. And I just find it super interesting that this whole thing started because of a, a little overly involved mom and some good-looking girls, and somehow exposed myself to a passion for this concept of teaching. And, and, and I'm excited because we started a new series today. So all that to say, we're starting a new series today that we're calling My Fit. And, and what we want to look at, and, I, and I'm excited about this because I think this is going to revolutionize your life. Uh, over the next four weeks, we want to figure this out. What's your fit? In other words, we want to help you figure out where God might use you best to transform his kingdom. See, if you're still alive, <laughs> God has a plan for you. And I think it's so much more than, and I don't want to like, working a job's a great thing and we want to live and eat and live under a roof and all this kind of stuff. And, but it's so much more than just working a job or, or just having some friends or just doing some fun things. Like I think God has a kingdom purpose for each of us. And, and I think our thing is to try to figure out how to, to find out what that is and then really lean into it. And so that's what we want to do with this concept of my fit. And, and really be thinking for now, explain a little more in a minute, but be thinking for now this idea of where could I fit in the church? And I, I don't just mean North Point. I really mean the church, big capital C, like the kingdom of God. Maybe it starts at North Point, but, but what does God have for you to change his kingdom? There's four areas we want to talk about. Passion, spiritual gifts, abilities, and personality. And today we start with this concept of passion. I'm passionate about teaching and I was passionate for a few decades about teens. And that all started because of some really weird, what I consider weird things of how, what God uses to drag people into the areas uh, that they're passionate about. Passion. We've heard this word, we've used this word. I don't know if you've ever actually looked at the definition of the word. This is how Webster defines passion. It says, a strong and barely controllable emotion. Strong and barely controllable emotion. Just, just pause there for a minute. What are you passionate about? What, what when you hear or see or smell or think about, does, does it evoke an emotion in you that you are like barely able to constrain? 
or it says an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. I feel like that lessens the power of that. I think passion is powerful. What is it that gets you, you, you moving? Passion and finding your passion is a big deal. Like if you do any reading or research in the area of PTSD or uh, resiliency or mental fitness, you're going to run across this idea of discovering your passion. A lot of times they'll phrase it as purpose. Because if there's going to be healing in those areas, passion, purpose has to be a component of that. To live a life that's passionless or purposeless, there's no life. And so we see these folks struggling with all kinds of things because they just can't figure out what they're supposed to do. Passion is a big deal. And so I'll drop questions on you. What are you passionate about? What, what, what is it that just gets your blood boiling to the point of action? What moves you from, from saying, well, that's unfortunate, to, to actually getting out and doing something to fix it? Like, like, as I'm asking those questions, are you thinking of something? Now, this is not a guilt trip. Maybe some of us are like, uh, no, I don't know, I don't know, nothing. Like, I don't know what you mean. Like, yeah, I get angry at sometimes. I watch the news, you know, I get ticked off. I see that, I see that. I'm like, that's ah, not cool. I complain, I Facebook warrior it, you know. But, uh, but that's it. And, and, and I want to say, what, what moves you past that? What's an issue that, like, you would say, if I didn't have to work for a living, if I didn't have an, a, a mortgage, if I didn't have to eat, if I won the lotto, what would I do tomorrow? Like, what's, what's that thing that you would do even if you don't get paid for it? There's an author, his name is Bill Hybels. He writes a book that I'd highly recommend. It's called Holy Discontent. And, and I know if you've followed Bill Hybels at all, if you know Willow Creek, you've heard what you've heard. And I say that his writings are still fantastic. I'd, I'd highly encourage this book. It's called Holy Discontent. And the question he asks in there, he says, what causes discontent in your soul? What causes discontent in your soul? To the sense that you're like, I'm going to fix that or I'm going to do that, or I want to be part of that, or where do I sign up for that? Because it bugs you so much here. It causes you to wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. You have a hard time falling asleep at night because it's on your mind. I, I had this uh, great professor in uh, college. His, his name was Dewey Bertolini. Isn't that a cool name just right there? Right? Literally, his real first name is Dewey. I have no idea where he got that from. Dewey Decimal System is the only other Dewey I know. I don't know him. doesn't matter. Dewey Bertolini, he was our youth ministry prophet. He said this to all the incoming freshmen that were thinking about doing youth ministry. He said, if you can do anything else in your life, do that. Like if you do anything else, if you could be happy doing anything else, do that instead because this job's going to eat you up, it's going to chew you up and you're going to want to quit unless it's like the only, if you go to bed thinking about it and you wake up in the morning thinking about it, maybe this is the gig for you. I thought that was great advice. What causes holy discontent in your soul? Well, how do you figure that out, right? How do you test the waters to see if that thing really causes holy discontent? Because my hunch is that binge watching Netflix probably doesn't cause a holy discontent in us, right? Or, or reading the newspaper or reading books. And these are all good things. Like none of that's bad. I'm not, I'm not putting any of that down. I'm a fan. But, but those are things that we use to distract us. And sometimes that's an okay thing, right? But if that's what we're built around, how do we figure out what, we're, what causes churn deep inside of us? I want to look at three stories this morning. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to turn to some things. If you have the North Point app, that would be great because we're going to use that in a few minutes for a couple other things, but it's also got the verses right in there as well. If you don't have the North Point app yet, tune me out for five minutes, download that, log in, and then we're going to get to that in a minute. But I want to just look at three stories in the Bible of people who found their 
passion and how it worked for them. And, and I, you're going to love these. You're going to love these stories because you're going to be like, Chris, what are you talking about? All right, the first one, a guy named Moses. We've heard of Moses, right? Moses, uh, if you've heard the stories, if you know that name, uh, if it pops some images in your head of like the movie Prince of Egypt or whatever, basically the short version, uh, the Israelites, God's people are slaves in Egypt at this time, right? Then a couple has a baby and they, the, the, the Pharaoh had said, hey, no more babies because there's too many Jews and we're afraid of them, so just kill all the babies. And so this mom and dad took the baby, Chris Carter version, and put it in a little boat and like sent it down the river. I don't understand why that was the greatest plan uh, available to them, but it is. And so they send this baby down the river and um, that's a whole other sermon. And, 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 and the, the uh, Pharaoh's daughter is like down river bathing and she sees a baby in a boat and she's like, ooh, baby in a boat. And so grabs baby in a boat and makes it her baby. She's like, I'm going to raise him and he will be mine and it'll be wonderful, right? And so now she raises this, this, this baby to be a prince of Egypt and his name is Moses. And so this, this Hebrew baby that should have been killed goes down a river and, and the Pharaoh's daughter picks and now he's raised as like one of the highest officials in, in, the, in, the, in the nation. And it says this in Exodus chapter two. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were. And he watched them at their hard labor. Somehow he had found out he was a Hebrew too and he's watching these Hebrew slaves and they're making bricks and it's a terrible existence and they hate it. And so he's out there just kind of watching them as a prince of Egypt. And it says he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And he looked this way and that and seeing nobody, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Those are just really two interesting components to the story. Like, I, like, some of us have heard this story before, right? Maybe. And, and we remember that Moses killed an Egyptian. We're like, oh, Moses killed an Egyptian. Wow, he must have been like buff and stuff. I never really paid attention to the and hid his body in the sand. <laughs> so, like, not only does he kill this guy, but he's got enough presence of mind to be like, let's dig a hole. <laughs> let's roll him in the hole. <laughs> let's cover up the hole. So the next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Wah, whoa. And then Moses was afraid and he thought, what I did must have become known. Oh, snap. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, Midian where he sat down by a well. Now, I'm not advocating murder to find your passion. Can we just hear that? Because I know this is a story with some violence in it. But, but if passion is this, this, this sense of this uh, barely controllable uh, emotion, this, this, this discontent in my soul that I can barely contain, we see it in Moses. Moses' passion to protect those who are maybe we considered uh, the least of these. In this culture, and the Hebrews were considered little land, and, and Moses in this moment discovers this passion to protect others. If we go on in chapter 2 of, of Exodus, it's now um, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father, father's flocks. And some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue. And he watered their flocks. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And they said, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water and watered our flocks. Where is he, Ruel asked his daughters. Why would you just leave him? Invite him to have something to eat with us. So we see the second episode of Moses leaning into his passion to protect others. And he does that. 
He, he starts with this, this, this Hebrew getting beat by an Egyptian, and then he moves to these, these girls who are just trying to take care of their sheep or flocks or whatever, and these, these, these thugs are out there, and Moses comes in and, you know, rips his cape, and he, you know, and he like protects and runs those guys off, and he's like, I'll water your sheep as well, and just waters them right, and they're like, ooh, cool. And so he's this, this deep passion in Moses to protect to serve those people that he's going to protect. And if, and if you know the story of Moses, he goes on to a 40-year stint of protecting sheep, literal sheep. Like he becomes this shepherd in this family and does a great job and he's just sort of protecting the flock and this family. And then God calls him 40 years later uh, through some weird, um, unusual situation to become a, a, a protector of God's people. And, and he leads the, the slaves out of uh, Egypt and he leads the, leads the Israelites into the desert and he protects them for another 40 years. Moses leans into his passion and he found his passion because of some strange circumstances. All right, second guy I want to look at, it's a guy by the name of Saul. That's what his name starts as. It changes to Paul at some point, but he starts with Saul. And, and here's, here's sort of the summary, just so we know where we're at. Like, like Jesus was on the planet. Jesus died. They buried him. He rose from the dead. He showed up to like 500 people. He's like, I'm alive. And they're like, what? It was great. And this whole new movement starts, and it's called the church. And it's these people talking about this good news that Jesus has repaired relationship between, between us and God, and that he really didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. And this whole movement is starting. These people are beginning to gather, and it's sort of this under ground movement and everyone's trying to figure out what it is, but it's not like this massive mob. It's just a bunch of people talking about the goodness of Jesus. And so that's kind of where we enter into the story. In this group of people, they're beginning to identify some leadership. They have a thing they call deacons, and one of their deacons is named Stephen. And that's where we drop into Acts chapter uh, 7. And it says this, it says, uh, because they pick up Stephen because he's talking about the goodness of Jesus. And in verse 57, it says, at this, they, the, the, the Jewish religious leaders, covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, Stephen. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Uh, just in case you're not familiar with stoning, uh, we always get this picture of a guy throwing little rocks at someone, and it's kind of funny and stuff. But stoning in Old Testament times and even in the New Testament times, it was more like boulders at the head. I mean, it was a very, um, not efficient, but very effective way of killing someone. And so this is what's happening with Stephen right now. They're picking up these gigantic boulders and chucking them at his head. And it says, meanwhile, the witnesses, the people watching this happen, laid their coats, because they don't want to get their cloaks dirty, at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Euphemism for he died. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Paul was passionate. What causes someone to say in their life, my whole life is going to be about arresting and, 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 and harming these people who say that they're part of this new Christian thing. I'm going after them. Everything else is going by the wayside. That's my thing. I mean, it's, it's, mispa- it's misplaced passion. 
It's not like positive passion. But Paul is passionate. It's not like somehow uh, Paul couldn't do anything else. It wasn't like these guys had personally offended Paul. Paul was just so passionate for God. And he was so convinced that this new thing was not honoring God that Paul was going to put an end to it all by himself if he had to. So here's how the story goes on in chapter 9 of Acts. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anybody there who belonged to the way, that's what they were, Christians were calling themselves at the time, anybody there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This is hilarious, by the way. This is how Jesus does stuff, right? And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? <laughs> Saul asks, I'm Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you have to do. This is an amazing story. Saul, this, this, this man who is so passionate about God and, and people's relationship with God, and yet it's misplaced because he's convinced that this Jesus thing is not part of that whole mix, and he's, he's an equal opportunity persecutor. Men, women, kids, he doesn't care. He's the first egalitarian. He's going after all of them. Throw them in jail. Get them arrested. If we can kill them, great. And Paul is, Saul's just doing his thing, and Jesus shows up to him on a road one day when he's out to arrest some more people, and Jesus does what Jesus does with like these lightning and flashes of light and voices from heaven, and Saul's freaked out, laying on the ground, and Jesus says, why do you keep coming after me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul, basically, the, 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 the probably best literal translation here is something like, right? what am I supposed to do? And so Jesus says, get up. He's blinded at this point. Go into the city. I'll tell you what you need to do. What a strange day. And Saul's life goes on, and in a little while he gets his name uh, changed to Paul, probably because it was hard to plug into churches since you'd been trying to kill him for the first half of your life. And so he changes his name, he's a new person, and he becomes one of the most passionate forces for Jesus in the church. He, he writes most of our New Testament, he plants a, a zillion churches, he, he, he leads hundreds, thousands to, to Christ, relationship with Jesus and God. Paul, Paul's passion shifts, it was misplaced in the beginning, and it, and it shifts to where it needs to be. Paul finds his passion. It takes God to shift that. All right, third person I want to look at is uh, Jesus, which makes some sense. And, and, and Jesus has been on the scene for a while. He was born, he grew up, he's age 30-ish at this point, and he's heading into Jerusalem for this big Passover, which is a big Jewish festival that all Jews had to celebrate every year. And, and as they're cruising in, part of the deal for this festival was that everybody had to uh, buy a sacrifice, to sacrifice at the temple. Everybody had to show up at the temple. But the problem was that because there's people from all different kinds of places with all different kinds of monetary currency, they'd have to exchange it in Jerusalem for the local currency, and they would lose some money in that exchange rate. Make sense? Then they would buy that sacrifice, they would do their thing, and then when they left the city, they'd have to exchange those local dollars back for whatever their home currency was, and they'd lose a little more money in that exchange rate. And if you know anything about Middle Eastern uh, purchasing, you understand the culture of, of haggling and yelling and bargaining and how loud that process can be. And so now picture the entry to the temple where, where worship with God happened back in the day because they, they really hadn't gotten to a place where it was just them and God. They still went through a temple system and the, the entrance to this temple, if you could picture it at North Point, like entrance B right there, entrance A right there, was this, this loud, yelling, haggling, bartering, cheating system of trying to buy animals and it was just this chaotic, uh, for a guy like me, nightmare. <laughs> it sounds like a nightmare. 
Like my thing would be like, no, honey, I don't want to go to Passover this year. And she'd be like, well, we don't have an option. We're Jewish. We've got to do that. I'd be like, just you go and I'll just meet you there. Like, can you picture this? This is the scene. This is the setting. Because some of us have heard this story before, and I think we missed the setup to it. But, but that's not exactly what was going on. Then was not this, this, this warm, comforting, hey, let's worship God together in this really awesome relationship, warm, comfortable thing. It was this obnoxious, nightmare, cheating situation. And so that's where we get to in John chapter 2. And it says in verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting and tables exchanging money. That's that scenario we just described. And so Jesus made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here, stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal or passion for your house will consume me. Some folks, we've read this verse before, we're like, yeah, church sucks. <laughs> we're like, ah, we should just whip everybody. And, and, and we, we, we got to not miss what's going on here. It's not the church. It's not the, 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 this, this, this story, this event has less to do with the, the, the temple or the church and so much more to do with Jesus and his passion. And it's hard to get around this. Like, we don't want to clean this up because the details make it not clean. It's not like Jesus just came in and gave a really stern lecture. Guys. That's not cool, you know, something like that, a Jesus thing, right? No, he didn't do that. And it's not like he just came in and started, like, asking people to leave or even telling them sternly to leave. It's not like he just came in and, like, gathered up their stuff and took it with them and they didn't know what to do. It's, no, it says that he made, you caught it, right? A, a whip. <laughs> a whip is not a nice thing, right? You don't do, like, like gentle nudging with a whip. Jesus made a whip, and he's turning tables over, and, and, and we want to understand that Jesus isn't out of control. It's not like he flipped out and had a moment or something. Jesus is very much in control of himself. This isn't, like, unrequited anger. It's not like anger that's left to itself, and it's just flying off the handle. Jesus is making a powerful statement here. Jesus is, is, is pushing it out, and, and that's the question, what is it that Jesus is doing here? What is it he's passionate about? Jesus is removing any obstacle between people and God. That was Jesus' passion. And he knew that. He came to earth for that reason, to, to repair this relationship between people and God. And here we see this sort of small microcosm picture of this, this scenario that was really an obstacle between people and God, this haggling and losing money and buying a sacrifice and this obnoxious situation of just loud and yelling and chaos. And it really was putting a, a block between people worshiping the God who loves them so much and Jesus passionate about removing that, and he does in, in a pretty physical, in a pretty uh, obvious uh, way. And, and the rest of Jesus' life, we, 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 we kind of know the story, I hope, is continual building on that removing anything that would keep people from God all the way to the cross where Jesus removes really the ultimate thing that keeps people from God, which is our sin. See, Jesus was passionate about removing any obstacle between people and God. And, and so that's what Jesus did. Well, that's, that's fun, right? You're like, well, that's fine. And Dandy, Chris, Moses, and Paul, and Jesus. I'm just a dude trying to get through Tuesday. <laughs> like, like, what do you, that's fine, but I'm not those guys. I'm just a guy trying to live my life and do my thing. Uh, what, what about me? What about me? What about me finding my passion? I'm not going to kill an Egyptian. Don't, don't go kill Egyptians. I'm not going to, like, try and chase down the church. I'm not going to, like, start flipping things over at North Point. What does this look like for me? Well, I'd come back to Bill Hybels in this book, Holy Discontent. 
He says, again, what causes discontent in your soul? He says, the natural reaction is to dismiss it. And we do that. Like, we'll see something on TV, we'll read something on social media, we'll hear something from a friend of ours, and it will bother us, and we'll be like, well, I can't do anything about that. And maybe that's true, and maybe it's not true. See, Heibel says, instead of dismissing it, he says, I say push into it. Put yourself in places to be more bothered by it. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? We hear something that bugs us, that we don't like, that bothers us in our soul, and I'm just going to flip on another episode of The Office or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right? Because then I just feel a little better. The Bible says, I push into it. I say, put yourself in places that's going to be more bothered by it. For example, if homelessness bothers you, when you see that, I suggest maybe you just cruise the streets. Right, if the passivity of men bothers you, this, this culture that we have of men who tend to be uh, leaning in towards passivity more and more, maybe you want to get a side hustle, another job in a male-dominated industry, so you're just part of where that's happening. If human trafficking bothers you, maybe you get a part-time job at a hotel or, or, or the inner-city restaurant where trafficking tends to reign large. Right, if the refugee at the border, if that crisis uh, bothers you, maybe you volunteer to be someone who helps settle refugees in their new communities. Right, if you feel like leaders don't lead or aren't leading well or right, maybe you develop the skills necessary and become a leader in that industry. And if you, you feel like politicians are corrupt or ineffective, maybe you run for office. See, the, the, the challenge is... is uh, we, I don't know if this is a phrase you use. This is a phrase I use in, in my home. Monday morning quarterback. You know this phrase? It's easy for us to complain about stuff or to be frustrated by stuff or to bellyache about something. And again, social media warrior, we love that. It's so much harder to get in and let that discontent bother us to the extent that we do something about it, that we begin to swim in that environment as well and see how God is going to use us in that. But what if you're not sure what even bothers you? What if you're like, I, I don't know, nothing bothers me. I'm just easy going. Like, like this, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'd say volunteer at a bunch of different places. See what fires you up. You know, I keep saying things like media or news or social media, and maybe you're not on those things. Like, and maybe none of that bugs you. But maybe you just start volunteering in different places. Like, I didn't know what I was passionate about it until a bunch of good-looking girls told me I was passionate about ecology camp, <laughs> science, teaching, teaching students, teaching students the Bible. Or just put yourself in some different environments. Volunteer in some places. At North Point, there's lots of easy environments to do that. You can volunteer in the nursery. I know that I am not passionate. Don't tell anybody this. I'm not passionate about babies. I love babies. I like other people. I like my babies. <laughs> I'm glad other people have babies. But I don't want to. Uh, nursery terrifies me. That's not my passion area. But for some of you guys, like, that fires you up. You're like, these moms need to be in service. Oh, I'm talking about guys are crying. The men are like, come on, I just want to hold the babies, right? And so you hold the baby. And this, that's made like volunteer in the nursery to see if that fires you up. Or maybe a door greeter because you just feel like people need to be welcomed at North Point or in their world. Or maybe you feel like people don't have anyone who says hi to them on a regular basis. And so you're like, I just want to greet at a door. Like put yourself in these positions. Maybe it's kids welcome. Or maybe you want to teach a connect group because you're just passionate about a concept that you think everybody needs to have in their knowledge base. And so you want to do that. Or Maybe you just feel like, ah, this place is melting down around us. There's so many broken things. Volunteer for the maintenance team. Put yourself on the team and see what that's like. Maybe attend a grief share class or divorce care and see what that world is like. Our culture is rampant with divorce. It's so terrible. I agree wholeheartedly. Come be part of divorce care. Help it to not continue to happen. Is this making sense? It's so easy to be frustrated and complain about things, to have some kind of discontent in us or bothered, but then just not do anything about it. Because it's so much easier to sit in the back and complain. Amen? 
I mean, it's easier for me. I like sitting. I, I don't like sitting in the back of complaining, but it is, it is more fun at times. Sitting on the couch complaining about an issue or a problem or a situation is not exercising or developing your passion. It's nothing more than belly aching. Because of this concept, because we want to help uh, us, North Pointers, figure out our fit and figure out what, how God has wired us and our passions and spiritual gifts and abilities and, and, and all that, uh, we, we've got a tool that we would like you to use. So if you have the North Point app, I'd like you to pull it out right now. And I know that some of you guys are like, wait, are we allowed to do that at church? The answer is yes. Uh, pull out your phone. And I want you to go to, you'll, hopefully you're already in the North Point app. You were probably in the sermon notes section. But I want you to go back out to the homepage. And uh, if you don't... Um, have a smartphone? Really? If you don't have a smartphone and you, or you don't like apps because you're religiously opposed to them, good for you, uh, or whatever, we've got these cards that are out at all of our kiosks. You can grab it. You can take it home. There's instructions on the back exactly what we're going to do now. But for you guys that are uh, with me on this, just pull out that, that phone. Go to that little uh, image that says, um, yeah, your North Point app, get that open. And then go to the thing that says My Fit. It's a little weird dude running around with the big My Fit right there. And it's going to encourage you to, uh, it's in certain instructions there, it's going to encourage you to log in uh, to your my North Point account. The other way you can do that is underneath that little MyFit where it's green arrow that says My North Point. Just click that and log into your My North Point account. If you've logged in this way before, hopefully you don't have to log in again. It should maintain your username and password. If you don't know what those things are, your username and password, and you've been at North Point for more than a year, heaping shame upon. No, I love you so much. But just give us a shout in the office. We'll help you figure that out. But, um, but you probably won't be able to get past it if you've never logged in before. So when you do that, then you're going to, uh, that's going to open this, uh, your My North Point page is going to be three little lines up there. That's a menu. Open that menu. You're going to find, are you with me? You're doing this with me? Am I moving too quickly? I hope not. Uh, you're going to find this uh, menu uh, option that says serve. And so you'll want to click uh, serve. Is that right, guys? What's my next picture? Oh, beautiful. Uh, click serve. And then uh, my, my app actually froze up on me, so that's kind of fun. And, and then that's going to open a, a, an option of where it has all these different things, my schedule request, whatever. You're going to go to the thing that says positions. And then that's going to open a page where you can click on what's called uh, my fit. Now, my fit's going to open up some things for you to check off. All right, my personal fit. You get four categories there, spiritual gift, passions, abilities, personality style. Just so you know, this is something that costs money. Normally, you're going to pay like 20 bucks a month for access to this thing or 200 bucks, something like that. But it's part of what we already have in terms of uh, my North Point. So this is no cost to you. It's kind of a cool thing. And so you'll check off the things that you think uh, uh, spark an interest in you. So for example, passions, you'll notice that you're going to get a couple of categories. You're going to get people and you're going to get all these different people options like empty nesters or seniors or, or young families or or singles or marrieds or whatever it might be and you check the things that get you a little bit excited and, and then you're going to notice that it also has activities after that. You won't see that up there but that'll be another field there for you. Local, global outreach, missions, mentoring, prayer, recreation. You just click off the things that interest you. And you go back through, and over the next few weeks, we'll talk about all those other things, but you could do them all now. It's not like it's rocket science, and it's not like this is a right-wrong test. These are the things that excite you. If you click off uh, abilities, it's going to be like guitar player. <laughs> do you play guitar? No. Don't check it, right? You, you play guitar for 28 years. Maybe you should check it, <laughs> you know? It's pretty, it's really simple options. Personality style, are you outgoing? Do you like people? Nope. Don't check it, right? 
You know, like, like uh, can you say hello? Yeah. Check it, you know. So uh, just check. Spiritual gifts, if you've never uh, ex- taken a spiritual gifts test, you've never figured out what you're gifted at, feel free to guess. Like some of those things you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not hospitable. I don't like when people come over. I mean, I like that my wife's hospital and she, uh, hospitable and she invites people over, but I'm glad when they go home. You know, I kind of wish I had a sign above my door. It says, thanks for coming, be gone by nine type of thing. Don't, don't check hospitality. That's cool. Like, no, we don't all have every single spiritual gift. You know, one of them will be like teaching and you're like, you're like teaching. No, I don't ever want to stand up in front or ever or tell anybody anything. Don't check it, right? But if you're like, yeah, I like, I like helping someone learn something new, check it. So when you do that, when you do all of those, then it's going to um, uh, do its thing, its magical algorithm, and it's going to give you uh, a page and you can kind of see it on the far left corner over there that's grayed out a bit. If you guys can go back or maybe forward, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what'll happen. Um, it'll it'll actually tell you what your percentage match is with a number of different options, positions, volunteer abilities at North Point. And again, this is not just trying to plug people into serving at North Point. This is trying to help us experience what what are our gifts, what's our fit, what's our passion, abilities, skills, so that we can change the world for what God would have us do. And maybe it starts at North Point because you can play with stuff here. Like you can try things out. But the idea is that it'll tell you what your percentage match is. Maybe you're a 100% match for nursery. <laughs> and then you'll look down at the bottom if you're like me because you want to know what your lowest match is. Can you test what my lowest match is? I think I've said it 10 times this morning. It's nursery. Uh, and so <laughs> it's like 22%. And so, and so it'll give you, and actually maybe just look at your top three. Your top three things that it matches you at North Point with a position here. And then right next to it, it's going to be this option to reach out to the leader, email leader. Maybe you just email them now, and say, hey, I don't, this would be a great email if I got this week. Hey, I don't want to do this, but my fit says that I'm a fit for it. I would love to talk you into doing it. Like, that would be a challenge to me. I would enjoy that. Maybe you try those things if you're not already plugged into something especially and just begin to experience, what are, what are your passions? What is, what is it that causes holy discontent in your soul? Now, I'll tell you, uh, all, all the leaders at North Point, they'll have access to this as well. They can run reports. They can see your name in there. That's just full disclosure. So there'll be one person here that's like, I am not filling this out. I don't want the government to know what, the government doesn't know anything. And, and I don't, I can't say that no leaders are going to reach out to you if they see you like 100% fit for a welcome team or something. I can't tell you that no leaders are going to reach out to you. That might happen. But what we're asking is that you fill it out. You look at your top couple or three or four. You see which ones of those might just turn you on and you reach out to the leader and say, hey, maybe, maybe you can hook me up in this for a trial. Just a three-week trial. Let me try it out. See, the whole idea on this is not just to plug you in. It's to help you experience your passion. So for me, I found my passion at ecology camp for fifth and sixth graders. Spent a couple decades teaching uh, teenagers the Bible, introducing them to new concepts and to God in hopefully fresh and exciting ways. And my passion's transitioning now. I'm getting a little older. I'm doing a little different things. I still dig teenagers. They are a riot. But I'm growing a deeper passion for parents. For, for parents of teens and for healthy marriages, fostering healthy marriages because I've spent a few decades watching what unhealthy marriages can do to kids and to teens and I, just my passions are transitioning into a different arena of teaching and, and even in that healthy marriages, parents thing, it's really dialing down on men, fathers, husbands. And so men, if you just give me 30 seconds, I just want to speak to you real quick because I want to say when, when we talk about passion, And we talk about caring for, and we talk about figuring out how we're wired so that we can use that in powerful ways. Like that's, that's our language, right? 
I don't know a man, I don't know a man who says, I want to be ineffective or I just want to sit in my easy chair and watch TV. I, I know we do that sometimes, but that's escapism, guys, right? Like we want to harness our passions for something bigger than us. And so this is man language, but the challenge is there's a hazard in it for us, men. The hazard is that when we operate out of our own, very often it goes to negative places. There's this term that gets thrown around in our culture called toxic masculinity. I don't like the term, to be honest with you, but what, what's being referred to in that is this idea of, of a guy who's just driving his own thing, driving his own way, his own car, his own passion without any, anything, any thought for anything else. So the hazard with passion, men, is that if we're driving it ourselves, we end up in these negative places. We call it abuse, cause it toxic masculinity, whatever you want to call it. See, but the reality is that men, we, we need Christ at the center of that. Him fanning into flame, the passion. Because then we're driving in places that he would have us be. We're not operating in our own strength. We're not operating out of anger or, or, or uh, uncontrolled issues. We're operating the way God would want us to operate. And so friends, men, women, kids, everybody, uh, I'm excited about this series. My, my deep hope in this series is that we walk out of this in four weeks just having a good sense of how God's wired us and how we can use that to change his kingdom. If you'd stand, we'll sing a song and we'll be done.